Last few weeks, we'd been looking at David being a man after God's own heart. We talked about things like his courage, his unwillingness to take shortcuts, and uh, just uh, some of the, the character of the man. Um, before we go on to someone else, I want to look at his failure in regard to Bathsheba as well, and that's an, uh, his confession psalm is Psalm 51, but just uh, I'll review the story fairly quickly, and then we'll get into Psalm 51. So David had been king for a while, and it said it was springtime when people went out to war. Uh, I assume that was partially because they could find stuff to eat that was growing and all the rest, and I don't know, springtime, you just go to war. I don't know exactly how that worked, but uh, um, that, that was part of the, you know, get rid of the winter doldrums, I guess, and move on. But anyway, David didn't go, and so he's home. Um, later in his life, or late in his life, the guy said, you're not going anymore because he was, uh, it's, he was starting to fail, and they didn't want to see him die. And so I don't know if this was that connection or not, but he was home, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing, and he decides, I want to sleep with her. And he sends people to her, so it's not a full secret, right? Uh, and he, he goes and, and brings her in, and then uh, she sends him a message back a bit later. It says, I'm pregnant. And... Uh, you know, it's, uh-oh. <laughs> so he goes and sends for her husband, who's at war, and says, come on home, let me know how things are going, and uh, talks to him, and he gives the guy the night off, and, and he doesn't go back to his house. And then the next night, David's going, huh, gets him drunk, and he still doesn't go back to his house. So he sends a letter with... Uriah, the man, and uh, the letters to Joab, the commander, is saying, put Uriah up at the front of the battle and then withdraw. And uh, Uriah gets killed out of it. And uh, so the message comes back to David, and he's going, you know, he's all about the platitudes. Oh, the sword gets one or it gets another. It's just that's the way things go. You know, it's very calloused. And, uh, you know, the, the story goes on, but um, he takes Bathsheba in as his wife, and it's as if things are forgotten. The child is born, and so you're looking at this and going, well, this man, after God's own heart, apparently had a pretty calloused season of life, because not only did he walk through this with the adultery and then the murder, but this is what, almost a year later? And he still really hasn't dealt with the issue. And so uh, Nathan the prophet comes to him, and he tells him this story about a shepherd and uh, or a man who had a little lamb that was so loved by the family, it just ate when they ate with them, and, you know, and it was precious, and then a rich man had many, many sheep, but when somebody came to visit him, he didn't want to take from his own, and so he took the little lamb that the, the neighbor had. David's angry, 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 and says, 
you know, that man should die. And then he goes on to say he should pay four times, which is like Old Testament law. If you stole something, you ought to pay back four times. And he just, you know, he's, he's irate over the situation. And finally, Nathan turns the table and says, well, you're the guy. And uh, he gets, he's gotten David's attention. Uh, in this, there's a couple more things I want you to note. Nathan says, you despised the word of the Lord and did what was evil in his sight. So... He's not necessarily drawing attention to everyone that David's wronged and all the troubles that are going to happen as a result of this, as much as he's saying, in your relationship to God, you did something really foul. And this, is, this needs to be taken care of. And so it says, now there's a judgment form that's coming in your life as well. He says, the sword shall never depart from your house, for you have despised me. That's a declaration by the Lord. I'm going to raise up evil out of your own house. Somebody's going to take your wives before your eyes. For what you did secretly is going to be done in the sun. And God had told David earlier, he's gone, you know, I gave you everything. I gave you your master's wives. I gave you his land. I gave you and if it wasn't enough, I'd have given you more. And, and so, you know, God's just laying it out for him, saying, you know, you, you turned on me. And, and so that's, that's really important. And also then he's told that the child would die. And, and we, we talked about this, you know, how David grieved and weeped and sought God's mercy for seven days, he's fasting, and then when the child dies, he gets up and worships God. You know, he, so he's turning his heart back to him. But this psalm comes from that experience, but also it is kind of broader than the experience itself, you know, because he doesn't mention a single portion of his sin in this psalm, but he's seeking God to get back in relationship with him. And so when we walk through it, it's valuable for us to acknowledge um, our sin, whether it's done against another or not, still has ultimate effect in our relationship with God. And so we have to, with each sin, essentially, go before the Lord and say, I want to be at peace with you, and I need your mercy and forgiveness. A couple other things to note before we get into this. Um, you know, David said, you know, or Nathan had told him through the Lord, you despise the word of the Lord. You know, God had laid out what's appropriate. You chose not to. You took a different path. Then also in this, when David uses the term for God, he uses Elohim, which means like the supreme one, but also uh, the judge is also tied to that idea. So he's not calling them out and saying, merciful God, help me, which is another like Adonai, but he's saying, as judge, I'm asking you for mercy. You know, you evaluate everyone's life. It's like one day we will stand before God, we will stand before the judge, and we will have our lives, and we will give an accounting. So David, in a sense, is looking at that kind of interaction with God. 
And he's saying, I, I need your mercy in this because I have done wrong. Um, and then also just a note that this psalm is incorporated into many of the Jewish uh, services or liturgy and their song and such. So it, it became a very important psalm to them. Um, so let's go. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. When we read through this, and we read iniquity, sins, and transgressions, you know, we're taught to not repeat words when we're writing, right? You know, when, when, we're, when we're writing out our paragraph or even a letter, or a, we're, we're, it's suggested that you don't repeat a word several times. Um, you know, just you, you want to be creative enough to... And so sometimes we can read through this and say, well, sin, iniquity, transgressions, all the same. But there are nuances, if we understood the original languages, where one is kind of this, um, the, the unintentional sin. You know, we're out of our own foolishness. We do sin at times. We're just foolish. You know, we don't know any better. Then there's another term in this, in this same portion, it's for intentional sin. Well, when we're rebellious and we just say, I know what he said to do, but I'm not doing it. And there's a rebellion that comes out. And then the third type of sin is connected with this, um, the sin that's a part of our nature, so to speak, or who we are, or the degenerate side of us that just keeps doing the same habitual thing over and over. And it's, it's like the, the idea of washing in this is like it needs many washings to get the stain out. You know, we're, you know it's, it's so much a part ingrained in our nature that we just keep doing the same things even though we know it's wrong. And, it just, and, and it's, it's using each of those terms in this passage and say, wash me clean, please. The unintentional, where I'm just foolish. The intentional, where I'm rebellious. And the, the thing that's just sort of ingrained in me that uh, I keep repeating even though I know it's wrong. He, he takes on each of those things and he says, forgive me. Please wash me clean. I, and he says, I know my transgressions and my sins ever before me. So he's had a turn of heart. You know, the callousness that just said, doesn't really matter. I'm the king. I can do what I want. Or, you know, that, you know, a few souls know, but it, it's not important to me. Whatever, whatever his mindset was, after this, you know, when Nathan comes, he, he is turning back and saying, there's something wrong here, and I need you to get back to the Lord. You know, in some ways... Our picture generally of David through Scripture is this worshiping guy who's always in, in, in the tabernacle, you know, pursuing God. And it appears that this was a very calloused season of life, right? And there was a, a separation, you know, that he's very aware of what he's done, but it's just, it's not healthy. It's not good. 
And yet, now he's trying to make his way back to the Lord. And so, you know, my, my sins, are they're ever before me. Um, going on. Against you and you only have I sinned and known what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. This thing has given me trouble at times because I look at it going, well, you sinned against Bathsheba, you sinned against her husband, you sinned against the nation, you sinned against yourself, <laughs> against you only have I sinned. Okay. <laughs> you know? um, and yet... Ultimately, all sin has to be addressed before God. In the Old Testament, this concept seems stronger or more pronounced, is probably a better way of saying it. You know, when Jesus comes along, he says, if you've got ought against your brother, you need to take care of that before you go make your sacrifice. And, you know, James says, let us confess our faults one to another. And so there's, in the New Testament, there more, there's more this awareness of how our interaction needs to take place in the body. But the Old Testament, it's very clear that sin stands before God. And that has to be addressed. And so even, even as we deal with this on a personal level, there's this recognition that I've got to be at peace with others, but I truly have to be at peace with God as well. And I need to, to, to do what's necessary to see that happen. It's interesting. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Remember Cain when, when uh, he's asked, where's Abel? I don't know. <laughs> you know. And David's going, I know what I did. In other words, there's a confession. There's an admission of guilt. And it's like that first step of getting back on track of just saying, I know what I did, and it's wrong. Okay, so, and this, uh, against you and you only, if I sinned, as much as I've struggled with this, <laughs> the New Testament doesn't have a problem. In Romans chapter 3, verse 4, Paul quotes this passage, and he's talking about the faithfulness of God, and he's saying, if people are unfaithful to the covenant of what God's called them to, and the lifestyle that he's asked them to do, does that make God unfaithful? And he's going, no. He is justified in his judgments. And he quotes this verse. So this idea David is declaring, he says, you're just in your judgments. You, you, you are faithful. And so there's that recognition of it. And I've sinned against you. I have violated what you've asked of me. So he goes on and he goes, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And uh, again, this is a little bit strange to us, but he's making a declaration and he's saying, just like animals in heat, there was breeding and took place, and that's that was how I was conceived. That's the nuances of the words when you go looking at it. He's just saying the passion, you know, I was born out of passion, but it wasn't necessarily even God in that moment. But he's, what, it, what he's drawing to, he says, I recognize my own sin, but I also recognize that we are a sinful people. 
And yet he's calling out and saying, have mercy. So he's saying, you know, it may be part of our culture. It may be part of our family. It, may, it is in us personally for sure. And he's saying, have mercy on me because of your great love. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret place, in the heart. He says, at the very core of my being, teach me your ways. In, in, in my mind, teach me what I need to know. In, in every facet of my inward life, do your work inside of me. Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Again, hyssop was like one of the mint family and they used it for cleansing. It's interesting, they would have a ceremony if they had touched a dead body or a leprous person, they would wash with uh, cedar and hyssop. And, and so in some ways, it's almost like saying, from the dead acts, from the deadness of my life, cleanse me from that, wash me clean. And there's a play on words even with the, the whiter than snow, where for, in their terms... The word heart is inside of whiter. And so it's, it's, uh, it's something they, they saw and they pulled together. And so they make my heart whiter than snow. You know, those things are in, linked together in a way that they should be. So make me white. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. The joy, again, and gladness aren't just making creative writing, but the one, the one term indicated the joy of completing a task. In other words, let me have joy in knowing that your atonement is complete to me, that I've been washed clean. And then let me have gladness in the renewal of my life. So let me hear joy and gladness. Let me... Let me know that this is done, that I'm clean in you, and then let me have the joy of starting fresh again. Joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And again, that's not a phrase we're used to using. But the idea is, it's like when you break a bone, something has to really get crushed, right? And pushed upon pretty severe. I mean, it's, it's the protection for our, our system. And when you break a rib... You, you, you got poked pretty good, right? And, you know, the, the pain of that and the soreness, and he's going, in a sense, there's been a crushing on my life as a result of this sin. You know, the heaviness of life, I'm feeling it as a result of, of, of my sin. And he says, I, I plead with you, let that be released. Uh, there are a number of verses that, carry a similar idea with that. Um, Psalm 6-2, my, my bones are troubled. Psalm 22-14, all my bones are out of joint. Psalm 31-10, my bones waste away. Psalm 38-3, there's no health in my bones. You know, they were just, they were looking at it and saying, life is crushing me. 
And he's saying, you know, I've, I feel crushed over this. Now please back off that pressure. Let me be renewed in you. Hide your face from my iniquities and blot out all my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. When Have you ever been in a room when you knew someone was mad at you and you couldn't get them to look at you? You know? It's a little personal in a group setting, isn't it? Uh, I mean, outside of here, right? <laughs> and, and you just know that things aren't right because they don't want to deal with you. And uh, he's saying, I'd like you to treat my sin that way. Just please don't even look at it. But he's also declaring in his heart, I want you to look at me. I want to have our friendship restored. And when he's saying, take not your your Holy Spirit from me. Remember the first time of prominence for his life when the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and he's brought in to sing and, and, and help this man whose, whose life is failing and who is walking in depression and, 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 and grief and basically saying, I don't want that. I want your Holy Spirit to be on me. I want, to, I want to know your presence. I want friendship with you. That's the bottom line. I, I want to be friends. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Because I know how prone I am toward evil. But create in me even a willingness to do what's appropriate. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. He's making a turn here and, he, and he's saying, um, if you'll do this in me, then I'll be declaring it as well. So I'm going to, I'll teach others, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, my God, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. So I'll teach of you, I'll sing of you, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. The, the word picture in this is that it's, our lips would be like a river, so to speak, the banks of a river. And he's saying, open things up and, and let what's inside overflow. Let, let the healing that you've brought inside of me be such that, that I'm going to open my mouth and, and the goodness of your love is going to flow out of me. Let it flow outward. It says, uh, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In sacrifices in the Old Testament, anything with a broken limb wasn't allowed to be sacrificed unto the Lord because it wasn't of quality enough. And yet he's saying, if you, uh, if you allow your inside to be broken before him, that will, that will be acceptable in his sight. It's not the, the outward, it's what's going on inside. 
Do good design and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. He says, in your good time, do things your way. We know that you'll bless the community. That you will allow, you know, he's looking forward. He wants to build a temple. He, he, he sees it. He sees that it's going to happen. What he doesn't necessarily see, but what's prophesied through him, is that through him will come Jesus Christ. Through Bathsheba, that faulty relationship in its beginning, it's through that relationship that Solomon's going to be born. So the next king is going to come, and through Solomon also is going to come the person of Jesus Christ. So when we look at, will my sins be forgiven? Will things be washed away? Will they be renewed? We look at a person of David and say, as callous as he was in that season, God still brought his salvation to him. And even though there were repercussions for this evil, I mean, make no mistake, I, you know, Absalom ended up sleeping with David's concubines in front of others to make it a, a scornful thing to David. Um, you know, there was much infighting in his house. There were rebellions that he had to quell. There was, there was a lot that went on. Joab was never quite, the military leader was never quite the same in relationship with him. You know, there, there, was, there were evil implications that carried on once that thing had been started. But the forgiveness of God and standing for, before the judge, David was able to know that I will be able to stand before him and his mercy will give me what I need. What a beautiful thing that is. You know, we can look in, and sometimes we go, there was a price to pay for this stupidity. And there is every single time. That's why it's called sin. You know, it's because God cared for us enough that he helped define what would destroy us. And, and, you know, each time we walk in that, there's this awareness, I'm, I'm really harming things here. And yet, you know, to see that, that Jesus would be sent as the perfect sacrifice, that Solomon would be born out of this union with Bathsheba, that Jesus would come through that, there's this recognition of saying, God cares even in our weakness. God cares in our failure. God cares in the things inside of us that are profane, that need to change. And he does heal us. Praise to the Lord. Would you stand with me? It's not much of a leap to think that some of us here today are struggling with, I've done wrong and I need forgiveness, and will you forgive me, God? And you know, sometimes walking through that process, there are, it's like weeks of going before him and, and saying, what do I need to do? What's going to be done here? And there are confessions that need to be made, but I want you to know that God forgives unintentional sin. He forgives the intentional rebellion. And he also forgives that repetitive, habitual sin that just is a part of us. And we have opportunity to know his cleansing in, in fullness. So Lord, I ask that here today, as we stand before you, 
that once again there would be that sense of you washing us clean in you, freeing us from dead acts, freeing us from the disease of life, so to speak, and setting us free in you. Let us rejoice in the atonement that's washed away our sin and then be glad in the renewed, the newness of life that we have to start fresh in you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Amen. Let's walk through this process just a bit further. Sometimes when we're praying before the Lord and we're aware of our failures and we, we go to Him, and it seems like that's it, it's done. There are other times when someone's name comes to mind or someone that we've wronged or, or that we need to go and ask apology of. And that's part of the healing process. And so we take care of that. In fact, if you're in relationship with someone and you're, you're like, say if you're a screamer, you know, and you're, you're, you holler, you realize that's not right, probably the, the quickest way to start breaking that habit is to go back and say, I was wrong. Forgive me for this. You know, because you get tired of going back to the person and doing it, and eventually you decide, I'm going to shut my mouth this time. So there is that thing of going to others, or if you have wronged someone that you're under their authority, then it's appropriate to go ask their forgiveness. But then there are times, too, when, when things just don't seem to be broken off. And I believe this is similar to a James occurrence, where you go to someone or a, 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 in faith and say, I need you to pray with me about this thing, that I, I have victory here. And, and it happens. And he, he pulls us into community that way. And so uh, I just encourage you, as you walk through this process, you know, ask yourself, is this done when I just make this confession to God? Or do I need to make a declaration to someone else? Do I need to go to someone and ask forgiveness? Or do I need to go get help and say, please pray with me? But whatever the case, you know, it's part of that getting done with the things so that we can move off into newness and wholeness in the Lord. And that's the beauty of what's available to us. That we can walk with a clean slate, that we can have the confidence of being at peace with God, and suddenly life is brighter again. It's not like we're being crushed, but it's open and alive. So I encourage you with that. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. And then if, if you do need prayer and would like prayer, just it's easiest if you come forward. We'll pray. Someone will pray with you. We'll go from there. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover what a joy it is to walk in cleanness before you, knowing that they can stand before the judge and find his merciful response. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others, enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.